0: Just as great as a hole-in-one, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. A podcast that folds up like a cheap suit. He's a former resident of the old Pueblo Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. We are so happy to have you joining us today. Thank you very much. I hope you get some valuable information out of this. Uh, I should maybe restrict the listenership to those who are contemplating surgery coming up because this is another of our series of knee replacement episodes. Uh, As uh, careful listeners of the podcast will remember, my wife is having knee replacement surgery. Well, actually, she's already had it. Uh, through the magic of uh, time travel, we uh, started this series on knee replacement information uh, before the surgery, and uh, we are continuing it during and after the surgery. So I am here to uh, assist those who are facing the prospect of uh, joint replacement surgery by sharing the information that she was given by her team of surgeons. But before we do that, I should tell you that the reason we're here is to uh, help people feel comfortable about that transition from Obamacare to Medicare. It can be a scary and frightening proposition to uh, have your whole medical insurance regime thrown up in the air because of a government edict, But on the other hand, once one learns about Medicare, once has a source of excellent advice, one uh, has just a few choices to make. One will find oneself in much better circumstances than often we are with the Obamacare that we had up to age 65 or up to retirement or up to when our spouse retired or whatever. It's uh, not as bad and scary as people might have you believe. And I know that for a fact because I studied it carefully, and then I wrote all my thoughts down in a book that I entitled Medicare for the Lazy Man. The 2022 edition is out right now at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. If you go to Amazon, you're going to find four different versions, hardcover, paperback, uh, you're going to find the audible version, wherein I read the book to you, and you're going to find the Kindle version, where you can actually buy the ebook at a very, very low price for your uh, reading device, whether it be a Kindle or any other type of—I uh, 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 don't know—other uh, companies make uh, other things. Randy mentioned Apple one time; makes a product to read an ebook on, so that would be the probably the most cost-effective way to acquire the book. So those are the sources for you to acquire the knowledge for Medicare. If you buy one of those books, you're going to have two things happen. First of all, you're going to lose about an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half of your life because that's how long it'll take you to read it. And the other thing is you're going to become as expert in the subject of Medicare as most people in the United States. Very few people know more About Medicare than you will know after you've read the book. And uh, uh, one of my esteemed clients, Jules, uh, wrote me uh, just this morning and he said, hey, I've got a guy, uh, I've got three people in my uh, company that I am kind of pushing in your direction uh, so that you can help them with the insurance they need to complete their Medicare acquisition. And uh, one of them is completely computer illiterate. So can I have him give you a call? He said, also, I had to give him my copy of the book, damn it. Now I've got to go buy another one. Well, you'd think I'd be really sympathetic. Maybe send him a free copy if I had one laying around here. But in reality, I said, hey, let's look at this as a glass half full situation. You now have the opportunity to write another glowing review. Doesn't have to be long, but it should be glowing. So uh, uh, I'm glad to hear that you're going to be able to do that again, Jules. And he, uh, I'm sure, got my response and said, "Well, oh, bastard, I could have, you know, sent me a free book once in a while." But anyway, uh, Jules is one of my esteemed uh, clients, and I have many others, but uh, not as many that are interested in the subject of Medicare like Jules is. So with that having been set aside, we now approach the uh, the time of every uh, every episode where we uh, ask Randy to join us in the studio and uh, see what he's uh, all about today because this is a cloudy day and generally that affects Randy's mood in a much more negative way than it does in a lot of other people in Arizona. Randy, Randy, are you doing okay today? Yes
1: yeah Randy is in the building.
0: Yeah, hiding from the cloudy uh, skies, I guess, huh?
1: (laughs) I just thought I'd let you know that, you know, I'm okay. I don't like days like this, but it sure beats waking up on this side of the dirt.
0: Yeah. No, it beats waking up on the other side of the dirt.
1: The other side. Well, that's right. The other side of the dirt.
0: Yeah, we had a very depressing conversation about bacon earlier today, and uh, neither he nor I are satisfied with bacon. And I think the um, conclusion of our conversation was that we don't care if the tasty bacon was unhealthy. We'd rather live shorter, happier lives <laughs> than longer, healthier, miserable lives without good bacon. Yeah, uh, at least that was my conclusion. How about yours? Is that uh, that was, sum up that the way was you feel? Abs-
1: that was absolutely my feeling i was right in line with your entire focus on the lack of anything that really tastes like old style bacon anymore
0: oh boy there was nothing better growing up than old style bacon and uh, i haven't tried baco chips in a long time they used to taste like uh, bits of crumpled up uh, very uh, crisp bacon i'm i'm going to try them and maybe they'll be equally satisfying
1: Well, I I, promise, Doug, for those of you in the audience, I promise, Doug, that if I, when I'm going, you know, I'm still searching, when I come across, you know, an actual uh, good facsimile for old-style bacon, he will be the first to know. But those of you in the audience, if you've got any recommendations, this would be a great time to write Doug because we are on the hunt for decent bacon. But until that happens, I've got a few, you know, I always love to have occasional stump the insurance expert questions. So I just thought these aren't these aren't tough or anything about it, but I just thought they would be interesting for the audience today. And I'm going to phrase them in such a way that Doug will have a half chance, not a big half chance, (laughs) but a small half chance of answering them correctly.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, getting getting stumped is not as much fun as it sounds (laughs) like. But
1: uh, go ahead, Randy,
0: lay them on me. So, are
1: you ready? Are you ready, Doug?
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am.
1: Uh, Okay. In let's see, in 1968, Mickey Mantle did what? He got a liver transplant,
0: and Uh, he started. He started drinking again. He left Oklahoma to join uh, the the New York Yankees.
1: Okay. Well, you're 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 no you're kind of in the territory, but not kind of in the territory. Okay. I'm going. I'm going to ask you a little more clarification on that same question. Mickey Mantle on this day in 1968 hit his final what?
0: Oh, his final major league home run. Would that be it? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, And
1: for extra credit, yeah, for extra credit, what number was it? Oh,
0: boy. You know, we fixate on the uh, number of home runs per season. That's the record we all look at. Babe Ruth was 60, and Roger Maris and and, uh, uh, Mickey Mantle were vying to beat that 60 mark, and I think Roger Maris did it, and Mickey Mantle didn't. And so I don't think about career home runs. The number 500 sticks in my mind. Am I anywhere close with the number five hundred?
1: You you aren't that far away. It's uh, he hit his final career homer on this day, number five hundred and thirty-six.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty close. I'm going to give myself full credit for that answer.
1: You should you should really have full <laughs> credit for that. Now, now this happened a little bit before you were born, Doug. But that's no excuse. You should <laughs> know your history. Okay. This day in 1797, what happened?
0: Uh, Was that the Battle of Culloden?
1: No. No. Okay.
0: 1797. Uh, Napoleon, nope, too early for the Napoleonic Wars. I'm guessing... Uh, which country, are we, can we narrow it down to what part of the world we're talking about this event taking
1: you place? Can nar- you can narrow it down to Boston, as a matter of
0: fact. Oh, okay. 1797, because uh, the Tea Party and all the revolutionary activities took place in the 1770s, 1760s and 70s. Um 1797 in Boston. Was that the uh, the major uh, syrup spill or molasses Flood that nope. occurred in Boston. Nope. Okay, you have successfully nope. stumped me again, sir. Okay,
1: I have stumped Doug. So anyway, this is I. My dad, being a, a Navy guy, yes, this this really uh really resonated with me. This is the day in 1797 that the U.S. frigate Constitution, ah. also known as Old Ironsides, was launched in Boston. Yeah,
0: yeah. In I bet in response to the uh, uh, sultans or the bays of, uh, oh God, what country? There, there was a whole bunch of Arabs that wanted to um, prey on shipping european and american shipping and uh, the english just paid them off they just said all right listen uh-huh. take you know we'll we'll uh, let you uh take well if you let our crews and our our cargos sail past your countries without molestation then we will pay you a ransom uh periodically and uh, the united states said hey We're not doing that for two reasons. First of all, morally, it's not correct. Secondly, uh, it just encourages more behavior like that. And I think there was a third reason, too, that the uh, United States was broke, couldn't afford it. And so what they decided to do was to fight back. And so the Constitution became one of, I think, a fleet of four frigates that were constructed for the purpose of uh, going to uh, the shores of Tripoli and uh, slapping around the uh, Arabs so that they would leave our ships, our sailors, and our cargo alone. You're absolutely correct.
1: And one um, more quick one. Yes, sir. You, you should know this. I, I don't even think this is going to be a, a challenge for you at all. What happened in tennis on this day in 1973?
0: Oh, boy. Was it uh, Billy Jean King and and uh, uh, what's his name? God. I uh, was at the battle of the sexes bobby riggs bobby riggs yes you're G-N-K. absolutely
1: correct you're yeah. absolutely correct so we uh we ended up with what two for randy and one for doug or how did that
0: but a real big one a real big one though
1: yeah 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 <laughs> you're absolutely right so I'm going to I'm going to uh, call my uh, call my job as the executive producer here and I'm going to move us on into the Medicare side of the program. All right. And as Doug said, we are going to uh, further the information available on this podcast. I think it's extremely interesting and 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 useful. About knee replacement surgery.
0: Yeah, it's really going to be useful for anybody that's looking at joint replacement surgery. I will say one thing about Bobby Riggs, though. He was on some news magazine show, like 60 Minutes or something, and uh, he uh, it was really funny because he did a bunch of things to trip up his game. And he said, "If I can get a woman tennis player to play me for serious, uh, you know, uh, serious money or serious uh, TV." Um, viewership he said i'll do things to handicap myself including putting buckets of water all over his side of the court and things like that i think it was a, a short video that you might enjoy seeing if you like tennis or if you like uh, bobby riggs's uh, brand of humor anyway so i yeah. have been i have been reading from a book that was given to my wife by her surgeons um they didn't write this thing they um uh bought it you know, or they, they paid a premium for it to be uh supply. They got a stack of them and they give them to all of their knee surgery patients uh, before the surgery so that they can study up on what's likely to happen and what they should do to prepare for it and what they can expect post-surgery. So this is the fifth of our knee replacement informational uh, podcast episode. So let's move ahead. Uh, we are at a, uh, Section of the book uh, that says uh, "at home instruction." So I think the surgery has ended, and uh, we have recovered for a couple of hours in the surgical uh, suite and the surgical uh, how, the the building in which the surgery took place. And uh, so, as I recall, it took that long for the patient, uh, my spousal unit, to figure out what planet she was on, and then uh, we got her in the car with her walker, and uh, she was able to actually walk a few steps just a few hours out of surgery. So, at-home instructions. After surgery, you can expect a gradual improvement over the coming months. You should expect less pain, stiffness, and swelling, and a more independent lifestyle. Returning to work depends on how quickly you heal and how demanding your job may be. Well, I'd like my wife to be a ditch digger, but I don't think she's going to be able to return to work uh, digging ditches that soon. So probably something more cerebral would allow her to return to work uh, sooner. So it is recommended that you give yourself at least four weeks to heal prior to returning to your job. Allowing yourself this time will not only allow you to heal, but also to create time to dedicate to your four weeks of focused Physical therapy and rehabilitation, which will ultimately need to uh, lead to improved knee function. After you are discharged from the surgical facility, you will have your first follow-up appointment with your surgical team ten to fourteen days after your surgery. I will say, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, surgery for my wife took place two weeks ago today, and today is her first appointment with a member of the uh, surgical team. Uh, These initial few weeks are a critical period of time in your rehabilitation for positive long-term results from surgery. The next section is managing pain and discomfort. You are encouraged to take your pain medications as soon as you begin to feel pain. Do not wait until the pain becomes severe. Follow the instructions on the prescription label and in the post-operative medication chart provided in this book. Remember to take your pain medication before activity and at bedtime. Pain medication may cause nausea. If this happens, take the anti-nausea medication that's provided. If nausea persists, despite this medication, decrease the amount or stop the narcotic you are taking and contact your surgical team. If you need additional pain medication, please contact your surgical team. Do not wait until your pain medication is gone to request a refill. We politely request 48 hours advance notice before you run out of medication. Please plan accordingly as these medications cannot be prescribed on weekends or holidays. Narcotic pain medication can only be prescribed during business hours Monday through Friday. Thank you, dope fiends, for causing uh, regular uh, surgical patients to have to be inconvenienced with uh, federal legislation that affects all uh, non-dope heads as well as uh, the uh, people who just use these drugs for recreational purposes. It goes on to say, you are not permitted to drive a car while taking narcotic pain medication. Narcotic pain medications can cause constipation, drink plenty of fluids, eat whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and take stool softeners daily. Take laxatives as needed for severe constipation. Now, here's a kind of an important section. It's incision or wound care. Your incision will be covered with a water-resistant, not waterproof, waterproof, but water-resistant vacuum-assisted pico-dressing. It's P-I-C-O dressing. This means that you are able to shower as early as 24 hours after surgery. Do not submerge the wound in water i.e. no baths pools or hot tubs you may shower only do not linger for a long period of time in the shower pat the dressing dry do not rub dry the dressing may stay on for up to seven days uh oh it's been 45 minutes now uh 45 uh, 14 days what am i saying 45 minutes i'm my mind is racing what's going on here 45 days the it feels like 45 days i gotta tell you Someday I'll tell the audience about the um, all the machinery I had a uh, hooker up to every day. Uh, God, it's uh, it's incredible. But anyway, uh, I I digress. The uh, dressing may stay on for up to seven days, at which time the battery pack for the vacuum portion of the dressing will terminate. On the seventh day, removed the dressing. Oh, I know what happened. She went to physical therapy, and that's where they did this. So it has not been 14 days with the dressing intact. On the seventh day, removed the dressing. There's a battery pack in there. I don't think she even knew there was a battery pack. I knew there was something under there because there was a big rectangular lump under the ACE bandages that the leg was wrapped in. And then it was gone after a visit to physical therapy. So she never told me it was a battery. I don't think she even knows. So on the seventh day, remove the dressing. It can be removed just like removing a big Band-Aid. If you're participating in physical therapy with integrated physical therapy, that's the ooh. (laughs) I I promised I wasn't going to say the name of the practice. If you're participating in physical therapy with that uh, medical practice, your therapist will remove your dressing for you. You do not need to redress or cover the wound after you remove the dressing. Your surgical team will either use an absorbable suture or adhesive zip tie closure system for wound closure. There are no sutures or staples that will need to be removed. Signs of potential surgical site infection. Increase in drainage from the wound. Redness extending beyond the incision site. Fever above 100 and a half degrees for more than 24 hours. Or swollen, red, warm, tender calf and leg. If you need assistance regarding urgent concerns, your surgical team is available to assist you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Any of the things listed above should prompt a telephone call to your surgical team. When to call. In general, patients do very well after discharge. However, it's important that you contact your surgical team if any of the following occur. It is expected that patients will experience pain following surgery. Well, yeah, you hacked their legs open and ripped out part of their knee and inserted titanium. That's going to cause some pain. However, increasing pain at the operative site that is uncontrolled by pain medications should prompt you to contact your surgical team. Post-operative knees are commonly swollen, bruised, and frequently have redness. The redness is usually confined to the incision site itself. New or increased redness beyond the incision site or increased drainage from your incision should prompt you to contact your surgical team. A swollen, Tender, warm, reddened calf or leg should prompt you to contact your surgical team. A fever or temperature above 101 and half degrees for more than 24 hours should prompt you to contact your surgical team. So during the uh, first six weeks after discharge, you should make progress week by week. Most patients are eager to report their progress at follow-up visits and are ready to move on to the next level of recovery. Not my patient, the uh, person for whom I act as a knee replacement coach, has been making uh, scary comments about amputation. I think she thinks that if uh, the leg were removed, uh, it would cause less pain and less problem. But I think she said this two and a half years ago after the first knee replacement on the other leg occurred, and I believe that uh, those thoughts were eventually um, replaced by uh, pleasure at the outcome of the surgery. It just takes her forever to recover from this kind of stuff. So follow-up appointments with your surgery team are held at two and six weeks. So your six-week goals, walk without help or assistance on level surface with or without walking aids. But she can do that now. Climb stairs. We don't really have any stairs for her to climb. Get in and out of bed without help. She can do that without a problem. Get in and out of a chair without help. Also, no problem in the Jones house. Shower with or without using a shower chair. She has been showering without using a shower chair. Resume activities of daily living, cooking, light chores, walking, and going outside the home. I'd like to send her out to get a job because it would be nice to have a little more income, but we haven't crossed that path yet. Some patients return to work before four weeks. This is approved on an individual basis and should be discussed with your surgical team. Approval varies from patient to patient, but largely depends on activity requirements at work. Physical therapy remains the most important and key part to recovery in the first one to six weeks. Patients should see their therapist a minimum of two times weekly during this period. Well, that's what we've been doing. This period after joint replacement is the time of continued improvement. This is weeks six to 12. Now I am only at week number two as the knee replacement coach in the Jones house, but um, we're going to sneak a peek at weeks six to 12. This period is a time of continued improvement. You'll probably notice an increase in energy, a desire to increase your activity level. You as the patient, And please keep in mind that every patient is different and will improve at a different pace. If you are not happy with the pace of your recovery, please contact your surgical team to discuss your concerns. Most patients have returned to normal activity and are generally healed. I think this is three plus months. Patients are encouraged to resume normal activities at this point. Be realistic and pace yourself. Gradually resume your desired activities. Keep the cane in the trunk of your car to aid with discomfort, just in case. Enjoy the benefits of your total joint. <laughs> it could be a total marijuana cigarette, but I'm, I'm guessing it means the new knee. Avoid high-impact activities, such as running, until discussed with your surgeon. Stay as active as you can after recovering from your surgery. An increase in body weight puts excess stress on your knee replacement. It is helpful and beneficial for you to maintain a healthy body weight. Continue to call with any questions or concerns. Our staff is always available to assist you. Oh, boy. Well, I think we've uh, gotten to another stopping point. And um, I will tell you that the next things we're going to talk about are diet and, ooh, boy, sexual activity. Oh boy. And then weeks 6, 12, Randy's going, yeah, thumbs up. Give me a new knee. Ha, ha, ha. And so, uh, I think we're going to hit a high point in our knee replacement series on our next uh, opportunity to address the uh, items in this book. So, Randy, you got something to look forward to here, huh?
1: Absolutely. But I did want to mention, uh, I know you didn't read the, or you didn't write the book, but Whoever wrote the book had a kind of an unfortunate set of phrasing earlier in the book when you were reading today. It says, you are not allowed to drive while you're on narcotics.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that surprised me, too. What did you see that was odd about that?
1: Yeah, well, the the unfortunate phrasing was you are not allowed to drive a car. You are entirely possible to have constipation. Uh, You know, it's like, (laughs) all right. So what relations, what possible relationship does that have to driving a car?
0: Well, I'm not sure the two are connected. They just happen to be paragraphs next to each other. You are not (laughs) permitted to drive a car while taking narcotic pain medication. And the next paragraph was these pain medications can cause constipation. They weren't necessarily related.
1: You, you know how my mind works you yeah, I'm, I'm always I'm always looking for the uh, you know the logical conclusion or the logical progression and that didn't seem to be the logical progression but anyway you know we have uh used up our nickel today we need to go ahead and sign off and uh, obviously thank the audience for having a Oh, gosh, I really enjoy these uh, the knee series because it's it's really informative. And I've always been the type of guy that loves to learn things. So it's it's been a great time for me. So anyway, we are going to sign off today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. We've always we've already talked about the book. I think we've already talked about the audio. We've talked about the Kindle. Have we given our email address?
0: Have we given our email no we, lately?
1: no, we haven't. Uh, so anyway, pull out your pen because Doug, given the fact now that he's he's a knee replacement coach, <laughs> he's closer to the desk and he's closer to his laptop for more longer periods of time than he has ever been. So send him a letter at dbj at com. Ask him any question you'd want. I don't even think we need to limit this to Medicare, do we? No,
0: it can be any subject at all. It's just that my mind is going right to the knee replacement coach aspect of my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So go ahead and write him a letter. He will thank you many times for it because he's sitting at home being a knee coach. And I'm not sure that's all that exciting for Doug, but it has to be done. It's- so DBJ at MLM you are, well, you've just spent, I guess, what, 32 and a half minutes. That's with what it Jones, seems like. The anti-insurance insurance guy, originally from Oklahoma, now residing in Cave Creek, Arizona, and the mountains high behind Cave Creek. And today, we, I think we're cruising at an altitude of about mm, 7,243 <laughs> feet. In his Fortress of Solitude.
0: Oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. Bye-bye.